0: Hi there, this is Danny Klein Modiset, welcoming you to the Afterbirth podcast, where we feature real stories about raising kids that you're not going to read in a parenting magazine. Okay, our next live Afterbirth show is going to be Saturday, November 10th. So please call the MBAR at 323 856 0036 for reservations. Ladies and gentlemen, today, in honor of the upcoming U.S. presidential election, we are bringing you a classic story from writer producer Rick Cleveland. Rick breaks down the different parenting styles of Democrats and Republicans in a piece called The Family Bed. It was recorded at the M Bar in Hollywood, California in 2008. Please welcome Rick Cleveland.
1: Hello. Um, parenthood, like politics, is a completely partisan endeavor. George Lakoff, the linguistics professor who wrote Moral Politics, says that Republicans are like paternalistic, tough love, corporal punishment doling dads who think their kids should act responsibly and pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and never ask anyone for a handout. And that Democrats, on the other hand, are like compassionate, gentle, earth-mothering moms who would never spank their offspring and in fact believe their kids should live at home until they're 30, or seeing as how 40 is the new 30, until they're 40. (laughs) And that they should have all their meals cooked for them, their laundry done for them, their every need met and whim nurtured. So as parents, you're either a Republican or a Democrat. (laughs) To further subdivide us, you're either a Ferberizer or a Searser. Dr. Richard Ferber, the Director of Pediatric Sleep Disorders at Children's Hospital in Boston, is famous for the let them cry it out method of sleep training. This is the method that most of our parents used and that most Americans have used for generations and sadly, to my view, still use. It involves simply putting your infant child in his or her crib in a room down the hall at a designated time every evening, closing the door, and then leaving him or her in there, pretty much no matter what, so that they will learn to self-soothe by crying themselves to sleep. This, in my opinion, is the Republican way of trying (laughs) to get your kids to sleep through the night. It emphasizes the primacy of the parents' lives over that of their children. Like Dr. Ferber, Dr. William Sears was trained at Children's Hospital in Boston. He's a pediatrician, a father of eight children, which I find totally unnecessary. (laughs) And he is most famous for the philosophy behind attachment parenting. The school of attachment parenting is big on breastfeeding and is pretty much the antithesis of ferberization. They are also responsible for the promotion of the family bed. The family bed being perceived as a hippie-ish concept, a giant futon-like mass covered with pillows where everyone, mom, dad, infants, toddlers, older siblings, the family dog and cat, and possibly mom or dad's out of work younger brother, or maybe the nanny, gather to not get a good night's sleep. In this country, in many people's minds, it's a slightly skeevy place that fosters molestation. Between the two of them, Ferber and Sears, they've written dozens of books on the care and feeding of infants and small children. When I was an infant, There was pretty much only one book on the subject, Dr. Spock's Baby and Child Care. Breastfeeding was actually controversial back in those days. Dr. Spock thought that breast milk wasn't nutritious enough, and it was also socially unacceptable. Despite this, my mom breastfed me while she smoked. Unfortunately, Dr. Spock didn't say anything about not smoking while breastfeeding. And crazily enough, he also didn't say anything about not smoking while being pregnant. I don't really know if my mom smoked while she nursed me, but she was a multitasker. And she did a lot of things while smoking. So it's a fair assumption that she smoked while I nursed. I think she nursed me for about a month then switched me over to formula. How I handled the nicotine withdrawal? (laughs) Well, I'm glad to say I don't remember. When my wife and I started dating, she was a single parent and worked full-time. Because she and her daughter didn't see each other all day during the week, sleeping in the same bed became a crucial part of creating and sustaining the mother and child bond. So when we started dating, I slept out in the living room on the sofa. I slept on that sofa for months. After we moved in together, all three of us slept in the same bed with our daughter Clara in the middle. After our twin sons, Gus and Charlie, were born, we got a bigger bed. Actually, we got two beds. One was a California king, and the other one was an extra-long twin we jammed them together and created our version of the family bed. It took up approximately nine-tenths of the floor space in our bedroom. (laughs) I slept on one side of the California King. Gus slept next to me. Mary slept next to him. Charlie slept in the crack between the two beds. (laughs) And Clara slept in the extra-long twin. We live in Topanga Canyon, where lots of people raised their children in family beds, perhaps out of fear of coyotes or mountain
0: lions.
1: (laughs) But in the city, my co-workers and friends would often ask me what it was like, this sleeping with my wife and kids in the same bed business. They wondered whether or not I was afraid of smothering or squishing them. They also wondered at what age did the family bed end, Didn't children who were raised in a family bed become creepily attached to their parents? (laughs) And what about when they became teenagers? What if they still wanted to sleep in bed with you then? And what about you and your wife's sex life? Did you guys even have one? When friends drove all the way out to our house, they would often ask to see our family bed. (laughs) They wanted to know what on earth it looked like. Even though the family bed lived in our bedroom, some friends marveled at how much floor space we had devoted to the actual practice of sleeping. Most of our friends from the city could not get their heads wrapped around the idea of parents sleeping with their children. Even though it's the norm in more cultures than it isn't, in North America, it's seen as far too communal. After all, didn't the Manson family sleep in a family bed? (laughs) Meanwhile, many of those same friends were putting their babies in cribs and bedrooms down the hall, far from their own bedrooms, and enduring long nights of letting their babies cry it out. Supposedly, the more resolve you show, the stronger your babies will become when they grow older. One friend of mine who was ferberizing his son told me that it was working beautifully until his son got old enough to figure out how to climb out of his crib. So my friend then put a kind of lid on the top of the crib with a latch on it. (laughs) And when he showed it to me, I thought, what's the difference between this crib and a cage? (laughs) Now, to be fair, if my wife had ferberized her daughter, I would have probably been okay with ferberizing our sons. And to be honest, when my friends from work ask me a lot of questions about our family bed, I would start to wonder if maybe someday one of my kids might go into therapy because of it. Or even worse, write a book or a one-person show about it. In the end, I got totally behind it when my wife put it to me like this. Bears don't make their cubs sleep in caves down the hill from their caves. And that's so true. (laughs) If a mother bear let her offspring cry it out, surely they would be eaten by wolves or mountain lions. And even though it's true we aren't bears, we are mammals, we nurse our young, and we should, I think, keep them close, especially in those first few years, because I believe that it's keeping them close that will make them stronger, more independent, and less afraid of the world. Some of you ferberizers might disagree. And if you want to hold on to the primacy of your adulthood and act like a Republican, (laughs) well, it's a free country. But I say surrender to the family bed. It's a hell of a lot cozier. My daughter is 11 now, my sons are almost 9, and all three of them have moved into their own bedrooms. Now, most nights, it's just me, my wife, Keith Olbermann, and one of our three cats. I have to say, I like having the extra leg room, but on some nights, it feels like there's way too much room in there. Okay, for more
0: information about Afterbirth, the book, the live show, or to just comment on the podcast, please go to www.afterbirthstories.com. Remember, our next Afterbirth show will be at the M-Bar in Hollywood on Saturday, November 10th, featuring Dan Bukatinsky, Joan Rader, and someone new, Diane Mazoda. so you can't miss this one. The number to call for reservations, again, is 323-856-0036. I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening.